0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books Network. I am Priyam Sinha, the host of today's interview with Dr. Smith Mehta. Smith Mehta is an assistant professor at the Center for Media and Journalism Studies at the University of Groningen. He specializes in media industry studies, creator cultures and production cultures. Besides publishing in reputed journals like Media, Culture, and Society, and International Journal of Cultural Studies, among others, Smith has previously worked in Viacom Ad Media, Private Limited, as a content producer. Today, he will tell us about his very fascinating, recently published book, The New Screen Ecology in India. First of all, heartiest congratulations to you, Smith, And thank you very much for accepting our invitation.
0: Thank you so much, Priyam. Sir, it's a pleasure to have this discussion. Thank you.
1: Uh, It is an honor to have you here and discuss your thought-provoking and exhaustive ethnographic work on the creative media industries, which is one of the first books to foreground the content creator-led approach of platform productions in India. In doing so, as it traverses through the different ways in which gender, class, cases of hashtag MeToo, technological advancements, and global trends permeate in shaping content on screen. So first of all, before we foray into an extensive discussion about your book, can you tell our listeners about your journey into academia while exploring the world of platform productions and media industries? What is the backstory of this book, and how long did it take you to materialize it? Sure,
0: thank you. Uh, so I'm I was actually working in Viacom 18 uh, motion pictures between between 2013 to 2015. After doing my masters from Symbiosis Institute of Media and Communication, so um, you know, and I'm I, I specialized in journalism. So that was another thing. So when I started the job, I started as a creative trainee pretty much reading scripts every day. You know, entering into meetings with directors. Uh, producers and discussing whatnot so i was into this whole new world learning about uh, filmmaking filmmaking filmmakers filmmaking communities also the business because studios thrive on you know distribution uh uh, more than content development so uh, it was all a new world for me and i i really didn't know you know what i was doing in the beginning i was Uh, at the, like, I was the initial gatekeeper for all the directors, writers, and producers who wanted to step in, you know, and uh, send their material to us. So I would make them sign uh, confidential agreements, uh, what we call as NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, uh, and then receive their material, read it, and then circulate it within the content development team. And then finally, if it Gets a green light from our team, it goes into the other departments, and we would finally have like narrations. So during this two two and a half years, I realized that okay, you know, my job here is to be a gatekeeper, to to basically with with little knowledge of of uh, the success or the failure of the film, just be able to to decide what kind of films uh, need to be held under this banner, whether they'll make profit or not and from there on I, I said okay uh, you know this is this is the time for me to learn the ropes of you know also diplomacy how do you treat how do you treat a privileged director vis-a-vis a newcomer um, all these sorts of different languages that I was obviously unequipped with uh, how do you react to narrations and, and this experience uh, taught me a lot about uh, how the film industry works and then of course you know uh, there was a digital transformation taking place with a lot of people uh, jumping on the internet, uh, you know, the uh, rise of YouTube, the new YouTube creators, And well, Icom18 at that point was starting its uh, own uh, streaming service named Vote. Uh, so I said, you know what, now this is a new change. Uh, this is something new. Uh, I was helping a short film project when I was at icom meeting, which was entirely my idea named I mean, CineShorts. Uh, and then... This sort of Woot gave me this opportunity to look for talent and and scripts and 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 see if they fit in with the within the digital strategy of Viacom. So I said, let's make this shift. And then I was part of this uh launch, you know, uh of Woot, where I produced this exceptionally flop documentary named Batman, which basically no one saw. Uh and and, and there I, I but I learned a lot, of course, from the Stadium and and I realized, you know, I would like to study this. Uh, the other side, of course, is like you come from a middle class family where you say, uh, you know, you have a job which is stable, but you should always have another career option. Because what if this fails? What if you're sacked someday? What if, you know, you got a really cruel boss who's uh, strangling uh, your neck every possible day and you want to leave, but you have no other choice? So. So with all these uh, things in mind, I started apply- I s- said I'll give myself one year to apply for a PhD position. And if that happens, uh, then I will uh, enter into academia. So with that in mind, I joined as a senior research associate at Mudra Institute of Communications, Ahmedabad. Uh, I shifted to Ahmedabad. I did- of course, I resigned from the job. I shifted to Ahmedabad. I started working during the day I would work, uh, you know, on the several projects that Mica had. Uh, I was I was basically a coordinator for their digital programs, uh, and then at the night I used to prepare research proposal, uh, and and then I applied for colleges, and luckily I found the Queensland University of Technology where Professor Stuart Cunningham and uh, Professor David Craig were working on a book called Social Media Entertainment, which is now at I think uh, New York New York Press uh, Critical Cultural Communication Series. Um, so they were working on this, uh, you know, on the rise of YouTubers and, and and how this is sort of affecting the media entertainment industry. Then they said, you know, they thought I would bring in the Indian side to it. So, uh, so I was interviewed, then I applied for the scholarship. And the thing I know next is I was on a plane uh, in 2017 to Australia for the first time and uh, I was starting my PhD. So this book basically is part of this PhD project. And so the background is basically the, the industrial journey that I had about it. Yeah, so that's uh, pretty much a lot, but I hope it made sense.
1: Yes, that, that was very interesting. And uh, actually that gave like a snapshot of your reasons behind and motivations behind pursuing this journey also. So um, although when we look into production uh, studies, scholarships, especially within South Asian media cultures, a lot of it for rounds, Bollywood, Tamil cinema, Bengali cinema, uh, Telugu cinema, and you yourself have your own experience, practitioner-led experience of going through the processes. So uh, what are the prominent differences that you noted while addressing the working networks Collaborations, management processes, making and circulation of platform productions in India. So,
0: uh, when we initially, uh, you know, uh, when I was initially lo- uh, writing the uh, uh, the you know writing my PhD project and of course the book, I was uh, I was thinking about Hindi uh, content creation. I was like, yeah, this is of course the main uh, you know the the main. Uh, circulation and consumption practice in India. I mean, at least the numbers are saying so. But what I also realized in the process, PM, was you know, it's not limited to Hindi circulation and Hindi consumption. Obviously you have other 121 languages in India. So Mm -hmm. uh, there are other languages that are there on YouTube and of course there are only a few creators who sort of make million views or 100,000 views, 500,000 views. But but they are also important to this narrative of uh, the advancement of the internet in rural pockets. You know, people wanting to to, to see the content in their language, the sense of diaspora, uh, diaspora you know, things that A.J. Uh, Nathig, we both, uh, of course, uh, have written about. So, uh, like for instance, Bengali is the seventh most spoken language in the world. Uh, Bengali is also spoken in Bangladesh. So, so uh, you know, television productions in India have for long uh, circulated across the borders, also for the diasporic communities. All this. So, I said, let me do this. Uh, of course, one thing that we need to note here is they were low in production costs. Uh, of course, because of the the remuneration that they got from the producers wasn't as high. Uh, this also has to do with the circulation of revenue that came in but with beyond this technical aspects i wanted to focus on the creators who are working on this uh languages and so i met uh, i met bengali creators when i was in calcutta um in uh, you know i interviewed uh gujarati creators in Ahmedabad, uh, marathi creators in mumbai and i realized that they do have a very specific concentrated fan following. So, for instance, uh, there was someone named uh, Saurabh Datta, you know, uh, who's a creator in uh, uh, Calcutta, was a very big creator. And I I really made the stupid mistake of meeting him in Acropolis Mall, which is in in Calcutta. And uh, little did I realize that every 10 minutes he would be swamped with people, you know, 15, 17-year-olds wanting to take a selfie with him, just chat with him, uh and and discuss about his sketches and my interview was i mean it was a great experience in hindsight but at that point i was shocked because i come from this industry but with a very privileged mindset of mostly dealing with uh you know uh hindi industry filmmakers of course we we also made bengali films and marathi films and i was part of it uh, uh we are discussing chattush at some point uh, and the great uh, the Bengal Tigers, some of these Bengali films that I was part of at Fire Committee. But we never went outside our privileged setup of cubicles. We would call this really important stars, Sri Jai, and, you know, all these important stars to Mumbai in our office. So very, very cute setup. Now I am in Calcutta. I am meeting these people. And then I start to realize, okay, this is big. You know, this stardom is big. These are 22-year-old you know, mostly men creating content in Bengali language and are really popular and famous, you know, so I need to be able to, to understand how this works and how this uh, fame transcends. How do they use this sort of fame to work across film, build bridges with the film industry, get big stars to come on their YouTube channel, promote their films, also work with people like Hoi Choi. So I also interviewed Hoi Choi that times all of these portals to see what what sense do they make of these creations. Uh, you know, this this led me to believe a very important uh, part of my theoretical framework in in uh, you know for the book as well that uh, this is all coming in collision with each other. These are not separate separate entertainment schemes. Like for example Z, you know, Woot, Netflix, they are all uh, sort of commissioning regional content, not probably at the same level as uh, as Hindi language content, but they are commissioning, uh, you know, every year uh, five or six projects to kind of stay in the game. Uh, and this is happening across all levels, across this uh, platform portal divide, across social media. So they're working in collaboration with social media stars. They're working with film film uh, creator labor. So this is where you know how i saw the picture unfold
1: that's very fascinating actually and even at the start of the book you actually mentioned that it's such a content creator-led approach that you want to foreground their voices in different ways so um and that you also clarify that it's very much unlike the television industries so something that especially our listeners would also like to know this prominent difference that you're trying to also address is crucial in understanding platform productions as it creating a differentiation from cinema industries and also the television industry for Penguang. Thanks, Mim. Yeah, so,
0: you know, I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of slack for writing, you know, this, the, you know, people for writing this piece, you know, on television and this chapter, particular chapter that you are also sort of mentioning about uh, because they think I'm dissing television and I'm actually not dissing television, I'm not against the medium but the way you, you know, you you also know about this, the way television has unfolded, and felt, uh, unfolded in these recent times it has lost touch with the everyday Indians you know, if you look at some of the works of Ashwin Punta Baker uh, uh, Pavitra Sundar, I think uh, they mention about the ki dunyas and the, you know, the 90s television, which kept in touch with the everyday reality. And from 90s onwards, uh, you know, like, you know, with the Ikta, uh, Ikta Kapoor coming in, the K-series coming in, this somehow lost that touch. Uh, also, the economics of television changed with the 24-hour telecasting. You also saw a lot of soap operas just doing flashbacks and uh, you know, saving costs, but like kind of stretching the storylines. So uh, this had an impact on on what we saw on television. You know, actors were given lines uh, probably on the set, uh, some really absurd storylines of characters coming in after a leap, you know, with surgeries and so on. Shoma Munshi writes about it, uh, but in a different way, you know, from the way I see it. The whole rituals of uh, of uh, content making on television changed. Some of the few uh, people who tried to bring about change uh, with with storytelling sort of failed because the TRP system, you know, the way it was developed was uh, w- was sort of flawed, which I also argue in the book about um, the way the the houses were measured had had discrepancies in it, the way advertising industry colluded with the producers. The way this television shows were financed by just a couple of these producers, like Ekta Kapoor and 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 of those sorts, who could who could basically go on to produce content without without taking any initial money from from the from the channels. Uh, so they could just take you know this this means that the the level the field is not level uh, not leveled anymore. So, if you are a amateur producer who's trying to create a new convent or position yourself within the television industry uh you will not be able to stand alongside them because what A can 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 promise uh you know in terms of don't give me money at the moment i'll make shows i'll make pilots i'll make a lot of shows and then you will give me the money this whole system is sort of you know not feasible for amateur producer so so television became a, a a a setup for privileged people who would you know exchange you know one we have one producer who's simultaneously producing for uh, for, uh, for, for for three or four channels you know and the, the general entertainment uh, channels were sort of flooded with soap operas so they were leaving any chance for innovation or or experimenting it became a a, a place for people to earn money and livelihood and not for creative satisfaction and that's where the internet came in you know you suddenly had people who were rejected who are television renegades who were who were absolutely frustrated of course also privileged uh, in their own way with the gender and uh, class and the class politics or uh, you know but people who have been rejected because the ideas are not uh, good enough they don't understand the TV audience. Suddenly, found their place on the internet. You know, they connected with the students, with the North Belt of India, majorly. Uh, you know, with their everyday storytelling, looking at other lives, the lives of others. You know, like uh, so, so, so this suddenly became a youth setup. You know, like a entrepreneurial mindset. Um, uh, young blood, sort of, who oh, were not happy with just interning and bringing coffees uh, in MTV offices or, uh, or you know, like uh, the broadcast office. So this was the co-share difference. The people who were making it, uh, the the way they perceived the medium, internet and television, really led them to create the the, the different kind of content, like sketches, stand up videos, um, uh, low production, but a funny uh, you know for the youth uh sort of a space so something that you know if you may think about MTV you know and in in the 90s and and then and then how MTV sort of went down but then suddenly the internet sort of took its place
1: yeah that that actually summarizes the prominent difference and the distinct identity marker that platform production is trying to make And is still establishing right now from the cinemas and the TV industries of India. So uh, thank you so much for summarizing that so beautifully. So uh, you also mentioned the marginalization and structural limitations of being creative by instances of ghostwriting, financial issues, uh, the structural hierarchies between the the above-the-line practitioners and the content creators who are below the line. So could you tell us more about how you arrived at addressing some of these uh, often unspoken concerns and uh, rather creative negotiations that go into these content creation practices? Often a lot of it being playing safe or dodging the whole culture of offense to ensure that the TRP ratings do not dip. Yeah, so I think... uh...
0: I mean, a lot of scholars have written about it. Like you know, Greta's work in this regard uh, is very important. Uh, Monica, as Monica Mata has written about it. The censorship uh, also comes into picture here. But like, essentially, television had a very retrospective censorship, right? So you put something on television, and then the ministry notifies you. Uh, the you know, if if uh, uh, you know there is something wrong with it. So the television industry works in this way, whereas uh, there is a very proactive way of censoring where, you know, first you get a censorship certificate and then uh, it goes on. air. So internet became this sort of a, of a place where you put out content and all you have to worry in the beginning is about the copyright issues uh, that the YouTube, you know, the strikes that YouTube might uh, put on you. And uh, Netflix again and the streaming services that later came in had their own internal uh, SP, uh, SP teams i mean i'm talking about woot now i don't know how netflix would possibly function with the legal teams and the 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 troubles that are going on at amazon prime video you know the cases being filed and stuff like that but uh, essentially you have a legal team which would basically tell you which sort of content is uh, you know won't create troubles for us which should we modify what kind of abuses are allowed what is not allowed what sort of statutory warnings should go so Uh, This is also to largely keep up with the very nationalistic and right-wing government expectations uh, on the content creators. Uh, But this was essentially uh, also, you know, the space for mostly men, you know, to create the content. Uh, You know, this is where the limitations come in. Uh, uh, all of these spaces, like if you think of all the women creators, you know, like some of the best women creators out there, uh, Aditi Mittal, who's a stand-up comedian who creates content, uh, you know, they they have spoken to me, uh, Rasika Duggal one of the actresses, you know, who's very prominent in VFN, and, and uh, Amazon Prime, Mirza Poor and a lot of stuff that she's done. She spoke. She spoke to me about how the system in itself favors men, you know, like, uh, you enter into the film in, uh, film institute, and uh, if you are in, into acting, you are probably the only uh, woman or a couple of women out uh, in your circles. Uh, and then you are asked questions like, if you get pregnant, you leave this course. You know, this would better be for men, for whom you know who, who would possibly stay in the course. So your 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 industriousness, your discipline is questioned, your ability to take up this course is questioned. Think of women cinematographers, you know. Uh, if you're short, then you may. If you, you if your voice is different, you made fun of it. Like the whole point is, are you are you capable enough to run this show? And and then they are forced to 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 hide their feminine identities uh, in order to be part of this setup. So there are these divisions, you know, even within between the A O L and P O L. You know, a lot of people have written about it. Uh, uh, Tejaswini Kanthi has written about it. Um, I am I'm forgetting a really important name here. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of people have written about it. But what is essentially happening here is uh, there are a lot of these hidden divides that that are prominent across film, television, and uh, online space, uh, where the way to look, uh, what your gender is, what your class is, color. This is all taken into account when you create content. Uh, and sometimes it, this takes more prominence than the script and then the stuff that you have people who accuse uh women who have accused who have gone through this mental trauma of uh, sexual harassment uh have and have taken the pain to then accuse this uh or accuse uh, uh sexual harassers uh have have had n- no job you know look at the case of vinita nanda that i mentioned you know who who's a very thriving producer who ended up losing a lot of uh, jobs because she abused Alokna and Alokna continues to work get work you know he's in Netflix commercials and then you see all these producers Netflix uh, Amazon Prime all these streaming services who are headed you know currently headed by uh, women you know the content table team uh, who come out on Women's Day have this promotional messages uh you know promoting women but they rarely take into account you know the 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 problems that are persistent in the system uh and and that also has to do with the production culture approach where you know um the stars are bigger you know if the star says i need this person on the set uh i will take uh, him or her uh the streaming services are very subservient uh, to the protagonist the big big you know, the A-lister, as we call it. So, so uh, regardless of the numbers they bring in, it's absolutely absolutely your social relations and contacts that really help you sustain your position in the, the the Indian media industry.
1: I'm also very curious, especially to think through the time period, especially that you had studied this, because it coincides with the hashtag me to allegations coming up a lot more publicly. And the precarity of new screen industries content creators especially women addressing their concerns a lot more vocally so uh, although there is confidentiality in the matters that you were addressing as an ethnographer uh, one is expected to tackle such case studies very sensitively and uh, i'm sure our listeners uh, many of whom would also are also ethnographers would want to know your journey of uh into this media in our study scholarship uh addressing feminism addressing these concerns and more specifically could you tell us the hashtag me and the post hashtag me moment that got created and its significance within platform production
0: so so i will i will uh tackle this question within the media and entertainment industry space you know i you know i because that's where you know most of the work that I I, I have done or I'm doing with the book uh, uh, sort of came up with. So I you know when I when I thought of this uh, and there is of course a pre- prelude to this. Um, the the thing is I I did write a little bit of section in my PhD uh, you know on the uh, MeToo moment and the space of women uh, precarious space of women in the industry, but. Uh, as I was working through, so the the it really became big. Uh, the the allegations in the media and entertainment industry really became big in 2018, around 20, uh, you know, with Tanushri Dutta sort of levelling allegations uh, accusing uh, Nana Patekar of sexual harassment on the sets. Um, and I said, you know, I was in the industry for three years. How come? How come I just I was I was unaware of it like within the studio, how could i not realize this and the the series that i was working on this documentary named Batman, you know the director of the uh, the the show uh was later accused by multiple women uh, also, uh of me too uh you know and and then you know, there were stand-up comedians who sort of came out and said, you know, we knew this man was a leech, uh, within the industry, within our so- stand-up comedy circuit. We had been warning people. And I was like, you know, how come I didn't know this? Like, I pulled this project together. I got this guy to do this. with Y Comedy in motion picture, someone, you know, he was trying to pitch something. And then we, you know, I got to know about her work. Well, okay, and then we said, let's get him for this year. And we had a very good idea. And I was like, "Shit! I should have known this." You know, I how can I? I sort of felt very, very stupid about this. And I said, "I really want to now develop this project and write something." You know, and this is along the sides of, you know, uh, I'm at, at this point. You know, I finished my PhD and I was starting a postdoc around this. So, so, so I said, "Let me dive into this project completely." Uh, and let me engage with the material. So, so let me see what's come, coming out. And I also saw that there is a dearth of of uh, of of um, you know the stuff like of women behind the screen, like the, the 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 struggles that women have to go through. Of course, there's dearth of uh, of uh, of uh, what the Me Too, the change that MeToo movement led in the entertainment industries. Uh, as I was writing, I realized that, and especially in the context of India. Um, so I started interviewing people like before I even you know I had an abstract ready I was planning to put it as a Marie Curie project but it sort of didn't come together uh, because of other limitations Uh, so I developed this project at Center for Advanced Internet Studies where I said okay let's let's start by talking to people you know like uh, and one good thing here was obviously my industry background you know people knew me people knew my work uh, and people were 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 comfortable confiding in me, you know. Uh, this sort of helped me uh, uh, mount this paper. So the the paper and and the the, the section on on the Me Too hashtag Me Too movement and stuff. So people creators uh, sort of came to me. They discussed, you know, how this was this had affected them, uh, how this gave them you know, Me Too Women was sort of made a mockery of it uh, and women like women became the victim of jokes you know, now, you know, so you know, I can't even joke with you now because you know, you would call it Me Too, you would call it a harassment and they would make fun of it, they would belittle the moment and so there were all the sorts of positive and negative effects of it that came out and I had to treat this of course sensitively by it. Uh, initially I thought, you know, I should reveal their names because some of them were comfortable with it but then I you know, so one of the scholars that I wanted to work with at that point uh, said to me, Smith, uh, you know, it might be very, very difficult for them to work, you know, even if they agree to it. And I said, actually, you know, it makes more no sense. Uh, you know, I should possibly, I shouldn't reveal their names. And, you know, that's how ultimately it came out to be that I don't sense, uh, you know, I will just anonymize all the names.
1: Thank you so much. That was uh, very useful. Also, Uh, Thinking along the lines of a different aspect that you mentioned, uh, one of the striking features I found in the book was how you elaborate on casting director's roles. Um, One is in relation to hashtag MeToo and these allegations, but also independently. Uh, I was fascinated to think uh, that how they juggle between having a sense of control in pinning down who classifies as an actor, who can act, who can be the face of the production, but also conducting uh, by conducting auditions and then following up, it up by asserting how their ro- role often gets invisibilized. Um, I'm sure our listeners would like to know about this almost double-edged sword with which they always function and understand the role of a casting director.
0: Hmm. So you know, I've actually uh, there's uh, yes, of course, I've uh, I did interview a couple of casting uh, directors, but I also uh, was closely working, you know, working on talent agents, so people who were identifying talent. Uh, so I think the interesting part was at least the people that I interviewed, you know, they they came into the industry wanting to be something else, wanting to be directors, actors. Uh, and then they said, okay, whatever job that I can get in, to, get to settle into the industry, I'm mean, going to take it. So then they started, you know, some of the, the actors who've been trying for auditions went through the pain of getting rejections, uh, getting la- lack of feedback, standing in queues for a long time, not being able to uh, get a chance to audition. Uh, and all the sort of th- things, you know, that they faced, they sort of channeled that energy into building a casting agency where they said, you know what, uh, let us let us do this process more carefully, more judiciously and on the internet. So when you see TVF, a lot of new faces came into the picture, you know, people who you wouldn't think would qualify as your quintessential uh, a hero physique, you know, of the film or the good-looking face, uh, you know, that typical jawline that you will see on television soap operas, uh, you know, so, or, uh, you know, women who look certain way, uh, you know, getting those prominent roles. And so they they sort of, you know, changed the system of, of, of the people they were looking for. They started going back to the times where you look at people who do theatres who sort of work in in small circuits, uh, and and they sort of started getting those people in into the system. They've started also looking at auditions more carefully, uh, giving people re- reasons for the rejection. Of course, you know even in this processes there are politics involved in it. Uh, there is male gaze because most of these casting agents are men. So I'm not denying any of this, but I'm saying is the people who face rejections. Of course, were at the forefront of this uh, the, of this process, uh, uh, and and they were trying to, in their way, change system. And also, you know, like some of the people we see today, Pankaj Party, um, a lot of these new people uh, that who, who sort of started to helm the shows and people actually watch shows for them. Uh, uh, have are a result of the internet you know uh, and and of course this casting agents who have been able to identify uh this talent so yeah in uh, you know in the book i talked about abhishek banerji uh who you know who also ended up playing uh like a, a antagonist in pata lok so again a budding actor who started you know working in a casting agency working on tvf shows and then slowly getting back into acting and now he's also coming in his feature film so so this is also the part of the book where i say that it's become a strange space of motley where your directors are actors actors are producers actors are directors uh they are also showrunners some of them are writers so so india is unlike you know other media entertainment industries where you have a lot of people doing a lot of jobs. They have a lot of aspirations. And your stand-up comedians also become showrunners and writers in a process. Uh so so this is this is why, you know, there is no there is um, absolute abundance of talent and actually the internet sort of became the medium for them to showcase that.
1: Definitely, definitely. It does say that there is a lot more flexibility, especially and blurring of these stringent, uh, streamlined roles, Uh, you can play multiple roles. Yeah. Um, uh, That's a very fascinating and unique approach that the entire book actually talks about and across its different chapters. Uh, So another unique facet that actually caught my attention towards understanding the content creator-led approach is how you foreground the audience's classification by claiming that television content is for family and internet is for youth. So could you tell us more about the materiality of such classifications uh, within when you talk about audiences? Does it convey an increased inclination towards integrating newer and experimenting with newer storytelling formats? Uh, does it mean that content creators are also reassured that there are markets and scope for all kinds of content to coexist.
0: Hmm. See, this is interesting. So I think when I talk about the audience demographics uh, on the internet vis-a-vis television, we have to first understand this. This is not something that I sort of argue in the paper. This is this is a, a creator-made approach, as is the book consistent with. Um, and creators, you know, for longest time, the producers, television producers perceived... This is the HSM market, higher secondary, you know, this market. This this is uh, for the rural area. This is where it should go. And so this segmentation was already in the place, uh, you know, when I was in the field. Uh, and the producers always thought that when you create something uh, of like a soap opera sort, you know, television produce, then it is meant for family viewing audience. It should be viewed at this time. Uh, It is also, you know, a repeat would be good because there will be housewives watching this role. So this is essentially not me saying this is for this, but this is how the producers themselves uh, sort of envisioned uh, who their viewing audience was and would be watching this show and what the sensibilities of such a show should be. Uh, And and I mean, I'm I'm not here. I'm not saying here that the internet. Uh, completely changed the rules of the game but it allowed the alternate world to exist. In the television there was no alternate world there was no alternate voice. The other thing is, to think about is the price. You know, why Why do we think that television is still a family medium? Of course, about uh, apart from the fact that everybody comes together you know, eat and all of that uh, and you watch TV. The other aspect of it is Look, look, uh, if you if you if you tell me if I give you five US dollars and you get two hundred and sixty channels, right? So that's the costing of television in India. Yeah. As opposed to that, if I tell you you have to pay US five dollars, you get Netflix. What would you choose? Right? You won't choose something where you get your your sports channels where you get uh, everything for everyone, or you would choose something that's very niche, extremely populated with English content, and something that not everyone would relate to, right? So you have your news, your sports, you have a little bit of GC, you have films, dubbed films, whatnot, uh, regional languages, and here you have, you don't have live, you don't have sports segment. so. So this has to be taken into account. That's where your distributions and carriers became larger. So that's why people shifted. People still believe that television is a family medium. You know, you have all sorts of things uh, coming here. And that's where people like Jio, like the the the, the 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 companies such as Jio succeeded because it was able to syndicate everything with high-powered internet. And you became like a Jio form of sorts where, you, you know, you sort of monopolized almost every market there. Uh, with your predatory approach and you sort of get in and you take over everything that's that's possibly there and so then you think okay maybe not go for uh you know a sort of have all this stuff on television with geo as the main emblem because you also get netflix in it uh get a smart smart uh, smart tv or then you go for it, uh, go for just single viewing. So 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 what I'm trying to say here is uh, these are essentially the dynamics that distinguish you know TV and 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 the the internet uh, culture.
1: Yeah, yeah, that does summarize the entire uh, whole reasoning, especially the uh, the cost benefit analysis that an audience is also possibly doing, and how content creators need to prefigure an audience beforehand before even thinking of how to ideate it. So uh, the approach to platforms and eventually uh, portals is one pathway for individuals and institutions as it allows them to navigate the informality uh, of traditional media industries while embracing the precarity of algorithmic culture is something we state. And uh, I was wondering that uh, our listeners would definitely like to know more about these multi-layered processes and assemblages operating in platform productions that, unlike mainstream cinemas, continue to be closed-door processes and practices. So, what are these invisible activities that actually take place behind those doors? So,
0: so what essentially happened was, you know, you have this new creators who started on YouTube, you know, YouTube launched in 2008, 2013, you have this TV VIPs when the Later on, you have Dice Media, Array coming in, Scoop and, and a lot of this uh, new player. And what we could see evidently was they're getting views. People are watching them, right? Uh, it's not measured by TRPs, but you can. Every n- common person can see those views there that they've got views. You can see the consistency, c- consistency of their content. uh content uh, uploading the success that they receive, the audience through their comments. You can look through the comments, people are engaging with it. They're going live, you know, on Instagram channels. They, they are holding these creator meets on you in YouTube quest. And you're starting to realize we are also on the internet as portals. Like, you know, the likes of uh Everybody Everybody's realizing we are all on the internet. And these guys are getting views on the stuff without Really, uh, having those board, you know, board f- posters across Juhu and stuff. So we have to meet these guys. That these lines have to be blurred. So these are the, you know, the in. in if you think of the U.S., you know, where Stuart and uh, David's work is really uh, significant, they talk about there being a very strange section. There is this Hollywood, whereas there is this premium uh, section of professionally generated content on Netflix, and then there is the social media entertainment industry. So, so Hollywood and Netflix is all put together as a professional, whereas the YouTube part is more like uh, a, another world with your YouTubers, uh, the likes of PewDiePie, and all these people who are working together, and they don't want to engage at all, uh, you know, in this process. There's very little engagement there. Whereas in India, it's all messy, it's all chaotic. And that's where, that's where I say, this is very very, the setting itself is very, very informal. There is no structure in that we will only restrict ourselves to filmmakers who have been making content and we only commission those. We have people who are working with TVF. In fact, TVF content that goes on Netflix that has also been commissioned on Amazon Prime. So you have a a channel owner on YouTube actively creating content for uh, for streaming services uh we have actors we have examples of actors who, who who started a stand-up comedians where went on to writing shows um for Amazon Prime uh sh- doing show running you know becoming showrunners uh also represented by talent agents now working in children so, so all this sort of stuff you know it's all behind the scenes that is happening and that I have tried to sort of put it out to say you don't have a formal platform portal setup. You have creators who started with platforms, went on to do portals, became popular, uh, then started doing small roles, peaceful roles on feature films and now start, suddenly became big and they are now prominent uh, protagonists as well in some cases.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, thank you so much for that answer. Because, that. But you often reinstate that there has been a greater visibility, especially about these content creator processes and uh, social media uh, presence of content creators like writers and directors who are expected also to be a lot more camera friendly, maybe uh, have an audience interaction. And uh, could you explain these new circuits of promotions and maybe the format of marketizing the content producers in different ways? Are they limited to uh, select above-the-line content creators? Uh, How do you discover these changes in the publicity tactics?
0: Hmm. This is interesting. I mean, I don't really dwell so much uh, on on this aspect, but what is perhaps interesting to see is a lot of People who were working behind the scenes, but really wanted to be out there—you know—they've started using. So now I'm following a, a, a editor on LinkedIn, you know, who's putting out podcasts and shows uh, about editing uh, and uh, experiences of editing popular web she- web series. Uh, I'm I'm seeing more of interviews uh, of 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 above the line producers. Uh, our creators, cinematographers, uh, actors, artists who are being interviewed. You know, if you think of film, film fair magazines or other magazines out there before the internet era, uh, it, 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 it was restricted to few people, cherry pick people. But today, you know, if you know how to use the internet, how to use some of the social media platforms, you are able to post your working routines. You are able to 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 showcase your talent as someone who can express their work, what they are doing, but also how they are doing it and in the midst of doing it. So out of the shoot, in the shoot, in the studio, editing this, uh, you know, you have suddenly given voices to these creators who are able to tell other people that they exist. And that premise of opportunity, you know, is, is... something they are able to embrace while also accepting that they will still be invisible within the larger larger algorithmic game that exists, you know, uh, as I write about, you know, in terms of suddenly their views drop in or stuff like that. But people at the moment are just happy that, oh, I have fucking got a chance to be there. I can tell my story. I can narrate what I'm working on. I will be interviewed eventually and if not, I'll have my own channel. So that sort of autonomy is what was perhaps missing uh, uh, to some extent or to a larger extent, I would say, in the in the in the Indian entertainment scene. Definitely,
1: definitely. Uh, I was uh, also curious that you often foreground the compensation and uh, recognition given to writers versus a star, which you also mentioned about briefly. It reminds me of uh, a contemporary uh, screenwriter roundtable that was hosted by uh, Anupama Chopra in 2018 uh, where she uh, discusses that a film fails uh, commercially then the writers are blamed. Uh, And then writers also uh, asserted that uh, they almost have this whole double-edged sword with which they have to work with multiple uh, uh, versions and they can rarely work on multiple films at the same time because that's they are always single-handedly working on a script so uh, them being left out at award shows and this entire precarity or rather invisibility so do screenwriters for platform productions also dodge these formats of precarity uh, apart from the fear of being compensated with maybe lower remunerations Uh how much of that culture has changed maybe within the last few years of the pronounced social media visibility as you just mentioned about? So this is so
0: there are multiple ways of looking at this. And this is a very interesting question, Prim. And this is also leading to my future project, you know. What we've essentially seen is if you look at the India, the political economy of the, of the Indian entertainment industry, it's largely driven by the A-list of, you know, you have the big, big actors with the Khans, you have the Roshan and you, you know, like the big actors who make money, you know, whose, uh, whose sons are also actors and the father was actor, father was the director, all that, back. Uh, and then you have this uh, middle level you know, people who made it on their own, the Ayushman, Purana and the... Yes, and then you suddenly also have this new age actors coming in, you know, who, who were doing, uh, who were hoping to, you know, really work with their with the indie films and, and and stuff like that. So, uh, they were essentially represented well. You know, actors as a community have been represented well by talent agents, right? You see this talent agents representing their interests well, uh, promotions, you know, ensuring that they come on time on sets and all of that now suddenly what we see is writers also getting represented people who are writing for films are able to make choices with because you know talent agents are scouting for work so they can only focus on writing projects so the the idea of compensation to some extent to some extent of course there are other politics that are associated between talent agents and writers but to some extent they they, they, there is someone you know out there who's also eager to represent them because there is so much of of opportunity out there uh, to write stuff. Uh, so, so there is a talk amongst remuneration. Of course, the recent ongoing strike uh, in America will have ripple effects in India as well. Uh, you know, in terms of talking about the residuals that the writers should earn. Uh, you know, as as content is then. Distributed across different different uh, you know mediums um, uh, and platforms, so so that has of course added to the voice. The other aspect to consider here is um, the writers themselves are now looking at contracts in place. You know, uh, they are they are also being nuanced by asking you know, I'm ent- entering into a contract where I'm assured of visibility. No more ghostwriting. If I write something, I need to be credited for it. So so people who are writing, you know, are, are slowly becoming aware of the stuff that they are getting into. Uh, so even if they do not let their, uh, you know, they do not lend their names to it, they want a due compensation. And there, there are all sorts of problems with it. The other problem that I've sort of not mentioned in the book has to do with crediting. A lot of these writers are working, you know, especially amateur writers, people who start in the industry, they're writing on a draft, they are paid for a certain sum for working on a draft and then, you know, once that draft is complete, whether you're happy or not, then you are just shifted away from the project. And then this project is given to someone else to develop. And then that project is given to someone else to develop. And finally, you only see one name on it, you know, as a writer who got into it uh and then the other writers are basically being told you know we gave you money so shut uh, shut up now so you're done so nobody ever gets a chance to put these things on the cv and say hey but you know i also worked on it so it was originally my germ my idea or i was given a brief and i wrote something so why don't you credit me so in in that sense we've done very poorly unless you're represented by a talent agent, you don't have a capital or unless you know X people in the industry, you don't have capital. You can't voice against the big people in the industry, you know, people A-listers and say, hey, why didn't you give me credit? Because then you'll end up losing all the money uh, or, or or all the, all the, all the the uh, uh, you know, litigations that come with it or even your status in the industry. You will just basically be ignored. So this is, amidst all these problems, there is still this place where you know you go on social media you have your own place you discuss your work and that's how you sort of find ways to become visible and be prominent and say that i exist and i'm working currently on this show so tomorrow if something happens you are always find a way to 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 plug this loophole so yeah so this is a very tricky process right now you know we it would be interesting to see how this unfolds in terms of writers getting their dues but what we also see now is the writer rooms, you know, the talent agents being setting up this writer rooms, uh, getting all the writers to come in and develop and work towards the show, which is, I think, a good practice should have been there, to, uh, should have been encouraged for a long, long time so that every writer gets their due credit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you often uh, acknowledge the relative flexibility and creative freedom of content creators of platform productions in a way, I cite from your book, my cohort of creators also alluded to these portals' ability to take risks in commissioning original content driven by the script rather than stars. Hmm. So I'm sure uh, our listeners would find it very exciting to know the increasing trend of stars also being a part of platform productions. Uh, but do we still see a similar pattern with creators having more agency than, say, how Amit Rai refers to the stars as the branded performers?
0: Hmm. Yeah, this is a very loaded uh, question, I would say. Uh, but, you know, um, I think star in itself will always be there. You know, mm-hmm. India, you know, you you still need, uh, you know, in Janajan you had a Karina Kapoor alongside J.D. Palao and, uh, you know, so, so this star phenomenon uh, is not really going anywhere. Um, the star will be followed and the, uh, the sun and the daughters of the stars will be followed. And if they at all make their debut on Netflix or Amazon Prime Video, before that, they will have their endorsements. Before that, they become brands and they're endorsing brands. So, you know, like you see Suhana Khan, you know, she's already on TV in the middle of the IPL games endorsing a brand that is co-endorsed by Karina Kapoor Khan, you know, and you start sort of figuring out hey, how did this happen? Like, what did she do in order to get this brand? Uh, so they become brands because they belong or they, they, they know someone or, you know, and then the same goes with other actors, not to cherry pick Suana or anyone, but like this is this has been the case, you know, with the audience always wanting to know, uh, uh, you know, about the stars and their lives, um, and uh, and this is why the problem here is uh, the that it depends on how you see it. Uh, one thing is the star phenomenon is not going back, but alongside they've also realized the value of having character actors performing roles, so there is right now now we are talking about the place where the stars still hold their value but at the same time you will package the show with 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 incredible performers who will eventually also get their sort of recognition you know uh uh in in comments in the reviews in the feedbacks that they get you know if you look at the noise that is on facebook you You talk about J.D. Palavat in Janaja. You know, just take that example in Netflix. You talk about Mirzapur. uh, You you talk about all the new actors. You know, some of the, you know, you talk about uh, Dibbengar. You talk about other actors who sort of come in. It's not just one guy who's sort of, you know, it's all about uh, one person. Uh, So so we will see more of this sort of... uh, push and pull between established actors and performers or characters actors let's say character actors
1: definitely definitely thank you so much for your valuable time and the extremely insightful conversation about your book uh i will not take up any more of your time and end on the note of asking you about your upcoming projects what are your next few articles what is the next book in the pipeline
0: you know, this is always a tricky phase where you are like, "Oh my God, this is done," but I'm already, I already have to move, move on. You know, and it's a bit different from the films where you do a project and then you move on. Where whereas here, you have to intellectually think of something which is absolutely that rigorous uh, alongside your teaching duties. Uh, so now that I have a job, you know, I'm not just doing PhD on one topic anymore. So, so I think, but the next project is sort of picked up from where I left off. Like, uh, you know, there's a there's a chapter on talent agents and an article on talent agents that I wrote about. And I want to sort of put it out as a book simply because, you know, India with its history of filmmaking still doesn't have a single, like, a uh, authoritative voice on talent agents. You know, I was talking to Tejaswini, uh, Professor Tejaswini Gandhi the other day, who's, we all know, has extensively written about, uh, you know, uh, there's a, absolutely the best voice, one of the best voices on. Uh, writing on the uh, Indian creator culture and, and the labor practices, rituals of filmmaking practices and stuff. And she said, yeah, of course, there's not, you know, we have not managed to pin down the their work, you know. Uh, and even within the, within the, within the media industry scholarship, we see very little focus on talent agents. You have this couple of books, Raymond Boyle, Byron Russell, uh and, 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 uh, you know, four or five books, which we sort of refer to. But, India sort of misses this piece. And why is India so important? Because in India, your talent agent can become a producer. Your talent agent can become an actor. And your producer can become a talent agent. So you have this with Tony, the media corporations who have now a talent agent, talent wing, uh, you know. Uh, you have your uh, Yes Raj, which has a talent wing, which makes people sign three-year contracts and and, 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 and stuff like that. So, so this creates a sort of new power dynamic. Uh, within the Indian media and entertainment ecosystem, so I want to identify how talent agents, uh, you know, become this arbiter of taste, culture, and consumption. Uh, what is their role within and behind the film industry? You know, you know what 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 works are they doing within the media industry uh, in terms of uh, um, not just managing the talent but also uh, creating value propositions for the streaming services. So this is sort of uh, the next work uh, where I hope to sort of see, you know, sometime come alive and get a book project at, point, at some point. So thanks thanks for asking this. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. Eagerly looking forward to your next book project as well. And it would be very fascinating to draw the connections with your book that's just been published.
0: Thank, Thank you. you. Likewise, I also hope to see, look to your work, you know, flourishing.
1: Thank you so much.